Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. changes. Hallelujah. I want to read uh, just one verse and then let's read it. Then we'll pray. And um, so turn with me if you would where we'll start at. And uh, let's go to John 8 and I'll just read one verse and this is just where we'll start. I want to read John, St. John 8. 32, and this is just where I'll start at. This is the Lord speaking, and he said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God of heaven this day, we love you, and we thank you most of all for your precious word. We thank you for what it is, for what it means, and for what it will do, and for what it is doing. So we love you this day. Touch us, God. Anoint us. Everything we do or say, God. For, Father, we can't do it on our own. We need you, God. We need your anointing. We need your guidance, your instruction. We thank you, God, that all things is possible, Lord God, through you. So we ask that you would touch us today, God. Every ministry, Lord God, that's happening right now, put your holy anointing and your guidance, Lord God. For, Father, I know that with your instruction, Lord God, we shall be made free. So touch us, God. Strengthen us, God. Open our minds, our hearts, Lord God, to receive of your hand at your word. And we will thank and praise you for it this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you, Jesus. I was listening. I just saw a clip here. Um, I don't know. I would think it would be in the last month. of a, I guess you would say a national minister. I'll just leave his name out of it. But um, And he was being interviewed by a talk show host that I guess would be known worldwide and he was asked about a I'll just call a life situation and what he thought about it and as he was being asked the um the host went about just going on and made up such a a deal about it what do you think and and really just the question resulted down to just, I want to know what you think about this situation. So by the time that he actually answered the question, I was interested in what he thought. And because I had listened to this individual some, and I was really curious about what he was going to say. So his reply was, you have basically fashion this question around of what I think and he says what you should be asking is how does the scripture relate to this and he says 
this particular thing that you're asking about, the scripture condemns. So it's not what I think about this certain topic. Because I'm going with what the scripture says. And the scripture condemns this. So it's not, you're, you're so bent up and the world's so bent up about what I think. It's not what I think. It's what the scripture says. And he says, so that is what I, the answer that I will give you. I won't tell you what I think. Because what I think is irrelevant. But what the scripture says is this is condemned. And that's what I'm going with. And I thought that, I like that answer. I like that answer. And, and so it really comes down to this. In, at the end of my life, am I going to just stand there and spout off? Well, I tell you, I tell you this is how I view life. I don't want to do that. I want to stand back and say I've tried to live my life the way God would want me to live it according to his word. I'm not just off on some tangent just saying, well, I believe this and I believe that in which I have no doctrine or no foundation to stand on because you get, there is every wild imagination thing going on in America anywhere. You can find it. Whatever you want to do in any way you want to live, you can find it. Go to it. It's out there. But if you want a scriptural foundation to live on, the word of God has it. That is where we can find ourselves. So when it is, you know, that's why I love his answer. So when we take this, and this is why I want to liken the, of what I want to speak to just as a title, I want to call today the journey. And the journey that we have, that we're on, and it's just, I want to do, I, I just want to go on a little journey for today, and I want you to go with me. And in studying this, I just... I was wondering if Brother and Sister Corden was going to be here. So where I'm going to start, I'm going to ask Sister Corden to cover Brother Corden's ears for just a minute. So let's go to Genesis 1. So cover his ears. So go with me to start with, I want to go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now we read that and we go right ahead. But I tell you, this alone, right there, fascinates me. I'm telling you, when I stop and think about this, this is what I love. When you, I, I mean, I am no astronomy student, by no means. I don't go outside at night and stand and stare at the stars. I don't do that. But I'm telling you, when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, it just literally, this is what I think about. When you look at the earth and God said, I'm going to take it and I'm going to tilt it at 23 and a half degrees. And the reason I'm going to do that is because you're going to need seasons. And if it was not tilted at 23 and a half degrees, you would not have seasons because you've got this thing called the sun. And if you didn't have a tilt, then you wouldn't have seasons. And then I'm going to take that earth that's tilted at 23 and a half degrees, and I'm just going one time, I'm just going to spin it. And I'm going to spin it roughly at 1,040 miles an hour. But you're thinking, well, I don't feel nothing. But I'm going to put this little thing called gravity in place. And I'm going to just have it spinning on its axis, roughly, we'll just call it at 1,000 miles an hour. Then I'm going to take this thing that we call the sun, and I'm going to just let the earth orbit the sun at a rate 
of 18 and a half miles per second. And we'll just, we'll just let it go around there. 365 days approximately, we'll just call that a year. And then, and I'll tell you one more thing, then I'll stop. And then we have this thing, our solar system, in this thing we call the Milky Way. And this is another thing that fascinates me. Their best estimate, it says that if we take and go through the Milky Way system one time, one time, it would take from 200 to 250 million years at a velocity of 155 miles a second. Just to go one time. And the Milky Way is in another system. And, and I know I won't keep going, but I'm saying, and we read God created the heavens and the earth, and we just go ahead like nothing. But here's my point. God created the heavens and the earth for who? For humanity. He did all of that for humanity. It's why he created it. He created everything we see and everything we don't see. That is why we see people that is just so overwhelmed in life that think they have no value. It is just the enemy. It is just, he is, he just beats people down and he beats people down in life. They think I have no value. And look at all God created. He just spoke. He spoke this into existence. And he says, I have done all of this. Why? Look yourself in the mirror and say, this is why all of this is in existence. This is why all of this is going, expended. This is why all of this earth is tilted on its axis. This is why all of this is going. And that is why the verse that I love, I wrote this down, it said Matthew 16. This is why the verse, if, if you ever, ever think you are of no value or you are speaking to someone thinks they have no value, then you go to Matthew 16 for the Bible says, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? My commentary on that would be, if you could gain it all, God said, it still would not equal the value of your soul. God said, I spoke this into existence. I created you, but I spoke this in. This fascinates us. But God said, no, you've got it backwards. You that I made values this, but I spoke it into. I created you, but I spoke this into existence. Don't put a value on what I just spoke into existence. Put a value on what I created, of what I put my hands into. That's what put a value on. And God said, if you could literally... If it was possible for you to gain everything, and Solomon done said, if my eyes wanted it and I seen it, I gained it. But in the end, it was just vanity. So he said, if I gained it all, there's nothing, literally nothing on planet Earth or ever as far as you could go that would equal the value of what you already possess. And that's your soul. And I really and truly believe most of humanity does not believe that. I really am truly convinced the enemy, for whatever reason, life, just go down the list, has beat people down enough that they are blinded to the fact that they do not believe this verse. What is a man profited if he could gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God has said, if you gain it all, if you gain it all, what have you got? 
because I just spoke it into existence. If I want another universe, I'll just speak it into existence. But what have you got? I'll just take that from you. And then what have you got? But I created you. I created you literally with my hands. That's where the value is. Your soul is where the value is. That is where the value is. Now, turn, skip over. I'm going to go to Genesis 2, 3. In chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which he had created and made. Now, in the third verse right here, the third verse of chapter 2, we already see the separation. See where it says, rested from all his works which he had created and which he had made. Already we see the separation of God separating that which was spoken and that which he put his hands into. God's already defining that which, is, that which I can just do again and that which is precious to me, which he created and which he made. We already see the value already taking form already. Now go with me to verse 7. And God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is where God is literally, as we would say as humanity, putting his hands to the clay and forming man. Why God chose to do this, only God knows. But literally, speaking everything to existence, why didn't he just speak to the clay and just form a man? But as we would say, he put his hands in the clay and formed man of the dust of the ground. He took the clay, molded and shaped, literally to make humanity. This is what he did. So he made man. This is him doing that. Chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 18. This is when he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a help meet for him. And I'll leave that alone. Verse 21. And then the Lord God... Go with me to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. Verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made a woman and brought her to the man. 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall... Be one flesh. Now, all I'm gonna say, all I'm gonna say, uh, as far as that, I do think in the day in which we live, this a lot of this has got turned around. The Bible does say the responsibility, as far as cleaving, was put upon the man. Now, this is not a men's conference, but just listen to me for a moment. A lot of responsibility is through on the wife. If you love me, you'll do this. But this Bible says that the man is to cleave unto his wife. So if you do it the biblical way, it's not where is the love, baby. It's right here. Because you are to cleave unto your wife. So I know you're dealing with personalities. I got sense enough to know that. But I'm saying when it, I have always said it is not hard for a man to love his wife. When God brought Eve unto Adam, it was not who is this that you brought unto me. It is you have brought me a wife, and I don't think God had to say, now come on, Adam, love your wife. 
I think it was very, very easy for Adam to love his wife. And that is why Adam said, it is for a man to cleave unto his wife. A lot of responsibility is placed on the woman. No, the Bible says it is for a man to cleave unto his wife. And I believe in doing that. It is, therefore, the woman does have responsibilities. I, I, I'm well aware of that. But I'm saying it is not 100% based on the woman to keep this relationship going. The responsibility was put to the man. And if you do this a biblical way, the responsibility was placed upon the man. You cleave unto your wife. And when you read that the biblical way, you join yourself to your wife. Now, there again, I know you're dealing with personalities, with wills. I got sense enough to know that. We, don't, we do not live in a perfect world. I'm well aware of that. I know people has free wills to go their separate ways, to do their, to do their own things. But I'm saying, I'm talking about when, when, it, when two people does it the biblical way. I, I know things can go wrong and do go wrong. I'm not throwing rocks. But all I'm saying is, is when you do it the biblical way, love your wife. Love your wife. Now, Genesis 3, 9. The Lord God said unto Adam, called unto Adam and said unto thou, where art thou? Now, here we see the shepherd already looking for the sheep. Adam, where are you at? Where are you at? Already we see the role of the good shepherd already looking for the lost sheep. So he's taking, he's doing this. He is looking for this. In Genesis 3, now skip with, skip with me on down to uh, chapter 3, verse 20, 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken... So he drove out the 24, he drove out the man and placed him east and placed at the east uh, of the garden, Eden, cherubim, flaming sword was turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now man was closed off from the communion that he had with God, which was literally paradise. Now, God loved Adam and Eve enough not to leave them in the sinful state they was in because God said, I've got to keep them away from the tree of life. They had sinned. They had transgressed against God. God said they cannot get to the tree of life in the sinful state they're in and live forever in that state. Now, how hard must it have been to make them leave? I don't know. I mean, it's probably as the closest that we could ever come is, is, is humans is a discipline one of our own children. When we know it's tough on us to forcibly do something to make them, when we force one of our own children to do something that we know is right for them, but it's still hard on us. So God is making them leave literally paradise of what they was used to, but God said, I cannot leave you in this state. You have got to leave paradise. And now... The ground that has been so sweet to you is just going to become with thorns. Your forehead all of a sudden is going to have sweat on it. You're going to work for what you get. But most of all, most of all, the fellowship that you had with me is going to be separated. 
So this is this journey that we're taking. Adam and Eve, how long this happened, how long this fellowship they had, I would really like to know, but I don't know. Of how long this communion, how, how, how long that they had this fellowship with God, I don't really know. But what I do know, that it was terminated. And God himself terminated. I cannot leave you in this state. So a plan was already put in place of bringing man back to that communion that he had with God. So the journey was now in place. But for now, Adam and Eve had to be drove from the garden, and that they was. Now let's go back to John. I want to jump back to John. Let's just go back to John, the 8th chapter. Now, in John 8, a lot is going on in John 8 when you read the whole chapter. And so much has been said. Now, I really, I really wasn't going to say... much about this woman but I don't know in studying this this lady just this passage just kept coming back to me and I I know enough about the Lord that if if it does that then then I should stay with it so um what what is going on in John 8 at the beginning is the feast of tabernacles had concluded the day before there was a lot of visitors in Jerusalem at this time and what happened is that when a teacher or a scribe or someone taught, basically, we stand, but their custom was to sit down. So they would gather a crowd. He would sit down and teach the people. So basically, this is the, this is the sitting that's happening at this, this passage that's going on. Uh, Jesus is there. There's a lot of people still there. So a lot of people hear that Jesus is teaching. So a lot of people wants to hear. They want to hear Jesus. So they, uh, they just thrown in and they, they just hear that this is going on. So let's go hear him. So this is happening. So we'll just, we'll just pick up in John 8, 1. Now, Jesus went up into the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken of adultery and when they had set her in the midst. They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They said, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, this was the scribes and Pharisees, the religious, and I hate to even use the word religious, but this was the religious people of that day. Uh, 
I don't know how you would even... I just wrote down the self-appointed, self-righteous bunch. They just bring this lady, and to show you their respect, if they really, to me, if they really had respect, because here was all these visitors, the Lord was teaching, and they come right in. They interrupt the setting. Now here is God himself teaching. They bring this lady in, which I think literally was a setup from the beginning. They bring this lady in. And not only, she's not accused of stealing an apple. And accused of this offense right in front of everyone. It's, it's what we would call basically a church setting. Just literally chose their attitude towards the Lord and towards what was going on. They had no respect for what was going on. And I mean, they were supposed to be the religious people. And I mean, this just shows you their frame of mind, and they just could care less about the Lord or what he was doing. And so they brought her in, and they come in, and they just, this is what. And he, they just, but in verse 5, now Moses and the law command us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? What, is, what do you say? Now, but what sayest thou? What do you say? They really did not know who, who they was talking to. Or I'm telling you, they would have never brought the law up. They would have never brought the law up. But what do you say? So Jesus takes, he stoops down, and he writes on the ground. And I'm thinking, you know, here's the Lord. He's at this setting. I hear you running your mouth, but I'm not listening. And I'm going to just stoop down, and I'm going to write on the ground. And I'm sitting in the room, and I thought, you know. And that's when it just, the Lord just impressed this thought to me. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 9, it says it like this. Moses in his writing, And the Lord delivered unto me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And I said, if them jokers knew who they was dealing with, they would have never brought the law up. And I thought, man, the Lord's fixing to give them a smackdown. So they come in. They just said, we want to know what you say. And God said, I hear you talking, but I'm going to just write. So they come in. They do this. And really, according to the law, as we would say, that was written in stone, this lady had seen her last sunset. But they tried to trick him. Because according to the law, she should be stoned. But according to Roman law, they couldn't crucify her. They couldn't stone her, in other words. Not crucify her. They couldn't stone her. So they thought they had him trapped. So Jesus is saying... I'm going to just stoop down. And it's, so much has been said about what he wrote on the ground. And this is my thought that I, and just thinking I got from this. Jesus to Moses literally took the, stab, the, the tablets and wrote with his finger. And I thought, at this point, when this lady, her sentence was written in stone. And at this point, when them people looking down, I believe literally... At some point, he just writes, 
the law of grace. He put his finger in the earth and just wrote the law of grace right there. You say her punishment is written in stone. I ought to know because I'm the one that written it. So what I'm going to do while you're running your mouth, I'm going to just stoop down and I'm going to write another law. Because see, I wrote the first law. So I'm going to just kneel down and I'm going to put my hands in the earth and I'm going to write another law. And then I'm going to raise up and I'm going to just say, you know what? You self-righteous jokers, if you don't have no sin, the rocks you're holding, you just hurl them. And then I'm going to stoop down and I'm going to just write another law. And I'm going to write mercy right under that one. So grace and mercy is going to give this woman hope today. So she's going to do this. She is going to find grace and she's going to find mercy in doing this. So he put his hands literally in the earth, I believe, it's just my theory, and just wrote of something that they could not find nothing against. The Bible says that their conscience convicted them. So they're just standing there, and they don't know what to do. All of a sudden, they're trying so hard. They have this lady. They are so arrogant to bring her in there to disrupt this, and God just says, you should have never brought the law into this because you don't know. You don't know that I wrote the first law. So I am what? The fulfillment of the law. So therefore, if I wrote the first law, I'll just write another law. And therefore, I, hey, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So I'm going to just write it in the earth. And I think the spiritual side of that, you know, so many people have said that, you know, well, the, 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 the problems, the situations that I run into, you know, I don't find them in the Bible. You know, I, well, Lord, I mean, what are you looking for? You know, something that's just spelled out, you know, where your third car payment's coming from? You know, but look at it like this. And I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But what I'm saying is here is a lady. Here is a lady. Literally, her punishment was written in stone. Now, when we find ourselves literally in situations that life compresses on us, that there is no way out. What are we made of? We are made of earth. Allow God to put his hands in our earth and write the answers that we need because the enemy is going to sit there and run his mouth. He is going to say there's no way out, and God is going to say, I hear you running your mouth, but just go ahead. I'll put my hands in their earth, and I'll write a situation that you can't do nothing about. When the enemy is just sitting there just going like that, just let him go. And God's going to say, let him go, let him go, as though he heard them not. And God's going to say, he's not worrying me. Don't let him worry you. Because when he's just going and going and going, God just, the Bible says he leaned down and he wrote, as though he heard them not. Because the lady, what is the lady saying? What is the lady thinking? She's just standing there. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. All I can hear is these guys saying, just gripping their rocks, saying, just turn me loose, turn me loose. Because literally, if she knew anything about tradition, it was over. It was over. And here is the one that took his finger and wrote the law of God, literally comes in and writes another law in the ground that says, you from this day forward, you shall receive grace. You shall receive mercy. And then literally, it's just the situations. Now, bring that up to us. That's why I said situations. I promise you, if you will lock yourself aside, the Bible calls it the closet. 
put yourself in the closet and allow God to write the answers that we need. Allow God to put his hands in the earth that we have because situations, you know, that is why we have the word of God. We have a minister to keep us pointed straight. We can find the answers that we need because because that is why when somebody says, well, the Bible don't have the answers I need, well, yes, it does. God will give us the answers that we need. He'll give us the solutions that we need because the lady could have said here this day, it's over. It's over. I've been caught red-handed. I've been set up. There's no way out. Literally, this lady could have said, I've been set up. I've been accused. I've been caught. This self-righteous butts wouldn't even bring the man. They left him. Literally, it's 100% set up. What am I supposed to do? I am doomed. I am as good as dead. It is over for me. And according to the law, it was. But the old self-righteous bunch just had to bring the law in. And they didn't know who they was dealing with. And on our journey, I'm doing this for a point. On our journey, we've got to know who we're dealing with. We've got to know. We've got to know who we're dealing with. Now, when God puts his hands in us, Jeremiah says, I'm going to write my law in their inward parts. This is accomplished by the Holy Ghost. That's why, that, that is why it is so very critical to have God's Spirit in us because so much in life, so much in life we don't understand, so much in life we wonder about. God's Spirit can help us. It says, the Bible says, this book says, it would lead and guide us into all truth. We don't need to, as God's children, we don't need to sit there and scratch our head and wonder about this and wonder about that and just drive ourselves crazy with nervousness of wondering about what's going to happen on this earth. God is in control. I'm telling you, whatever happens, happens. Allow God to settle us, to settle our spirit, to give us the strength to overcome the enemy, that no matter what happens, I mean, God is in control. Leave it in his hands and pray for the covering of the Holy Ghost to cover us and to give us at whatever we have to face or to endure. God said he would write his law on our inward parts, and in doing that, he would give us the strength. So what I believe when he put his hands in the earth, that could be a type of him writing the answers that we need. And I'm just like you. I need answers. But I thank God I know where to go get them. I know where to go get them. So he put his hands in the earth and wrote, the solutions that we find, God has. Hallelujah. And I thank him for it. And John, look with me. Let's skip down to verse 19. They're still barking, Pharisees, even through all of this, they're still barking. 19, verse, in, in still chapter 8, verse 19, they said unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, you should have known my father also. Now they're saying, we see you, but we want to know where your father is. And Jesus is telling them, if you known me, then you should have known my father. And they're just, they just, I wouldn't say they can't put it together. They won't put it together. So they're, they're just still, they, they just, they just won't do it. 
In verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto you, Even the same that I have said unto you from the beginning. Now, I think that question is being asked even today. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? But I believe that when Jesus said, when they said, who art thou? And he said, even the same that I have said unto you from the beginning. I think the self-righteous boy stopped at birth, but I don't believe Jesus did. I believe Jesus said, even the same that I have said to you from the beginning. When Moses asked him, who, what do I tell him, Lord? You tell him I am that I am. Jesus said, I've said the same thing from the very beginning. I am that I am. I am the same from the very beginning. I am that I am. And they said, and he said unto them in 24, you're going to die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. For he's telling the Pharisees here, unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. In other words, this unbelief that you have of who I am, you are going to die. Now, verse 25, he's telling them, who are you? Who are you? Now, I believe this can be answered easily by the ones that seek it for this. When they says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And I believe a lot of people, even today, is still asking this question, who are you? I know what they're being told. Uh, I know what they're being told, who, you, who Jesus is. But I believe that the question is, who are you, Lord? In John 28, Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he has sent me, and he that has sent me is with me, and the Father hath not left me alone. For I do those things which, which those things that please him. Now, in Verse 31, and Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I'll, I'll read one more verse, verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, I was sitting here while back at the house, and I was reading this. And I've always looked at, especially at verse 32, and it says, where the Bible says, the verse that I started with, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And it was just, I've always looked at this this way. Here again, this is my opinion. But I've always viewed that, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I've always looked at the word truth there as this, and you shall know the truth, 
other words, basically the gospel is what I would say. And I was sitting there, and I was reading John 8, reading this passage, and then I thought, you know, not that I'm trying to start a new doctrine, I'm not. We got Brother Boyd sitting right there, so if, if you think I'm wrong. But I thought, you know, I really think the Lord was speaking of something else. Where it says, and you shall know the truth. The truth that I think he was speaking of there was the identity of who he really was. I believe when you go back and read it, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I believe this truth is what opens up the rest of this word to you. And I believe it does. I really, really, really believe it does. Because when he was telling them, when you have seen the Son of Man lifted up, then you're going to realize just what you've done. You just didn't crucify Jesus. You crucified Jehovah. So when he was telling them, it is not just me. It is not just Jesus. You've got to realize, and this, they just would not. They just would not. And as we, we just see people today that is still asking, who are you, Jesus? We have screamed this all of the apostolics as far as you go back, that Jesus was just not someone. He was literally Jehovah wrapped in human flesh. God himself came unto this earth, and he is telling them, you need to see this for who it is. Because this, I believe he's telling them, when, when they asked him, who art thou? That's why I think he answered them, the same that I have said from the beginning. I haven't changed. I, God, I have not changed. I would not tell you one thing. I would not tell you in the Old Testament, don't have any other gods before me. Do not worship any other gods. I, the God, am a jealous God. I would not tell you time and time again in Isaiah, do not have any other gods. Do not look unto any other gods. I, God, am a jealous God. And then I would not come to you and then tell you there is multiple gods. What you have literally is Emmanuel, the Bible tells us, God with us. Not a God, not God the Son, the Son of God. Literally, the Son of God literally came. God himself inhabited. So I believe when he says, and you shall know the truth, I literally, it's just like, it's just a light bulb. It's just like it went off into me. I literally believe it was the truth, was the identity of Jesus Christ. And in knowing who Jesus was, I believe it just literally opens up the rest of the word of God. The possibilities, we just, you just, I believe it's just literally, it just starts from there. I really do. I do not believe it is a hard thing. I do not believe it is hard to understand because God is saying literally, I've told you,
this truth shall make. I like that word, make you free. For if you want it, it is not something that is withheld. If you would desire this, it is given unto you. God will in no wise hold this from you. So he said, this truth would make you free. So in doing this, because it is, it is the one literally, and I like the part when he tells him, he said, if you would continue continue in my word this is not just somebody comes in and says who art thou Lord I'll see you later he said if you would continue in my word then you would do this and it's just it, it is just we see the conspiracy of which we fight we're told him I mean we are told we are see this because uh, for 300 approximately 300 years nobody baptized in no other way other than Jesus name then all of a sudden it was changed this was not God's will. This was done by man. And it's, this is why I've said the identity we have is baptism in Jesus' name and saying God himself came and robed himself in flesh and it was God himself that came to this earth. That is our identity. We cannot and we will not compromise that. That is our identity. And in knowing that, in knowing that, that is our strength. That is our safety net, if you want to use our word, because that is the, our strength. No devil in hell can cross that. That is our rock. That is what will get us out of every situation we find ourselves in because the enemy knows he fought this so hard. He still fights it today. So I believe when the Lord was telling them, you shall know this truth. You shall know this truth. And I think that's why he told them, when this son, when the son makes you free, you are free. In other words, when you have this revelation, you are free. God has set you free. And the free is knowing who the identity of who God actually was. And it's just knowing of just who he was, of just knowing that God himself would love us enough that he would come to this earth and robe himself in flesh, the journey that which we have, his sole purpose of that which was lost in Adam, the journey that we're on. God said, you lost it there. But this journey that we're on, this process, God said, I'm going to put my spirit back in you. I'm going to put my Holy Ghost. Then, that's why I brought in the woman. So when you do find yourself in situations, and you can't find a way out, just allow me to put my hands in your earth and write these situations in your heart. Because in doing so, when you think, you think that life has nailed you to a wall and all you can hear is the enemy running his mouth, just be like God. I hear you running, but I'm not listening. Because I know right now, God is writing a solution. Right now, of when I'm just standing there thinking, how can I ever get out of this? Right now, God's got his hands in the earth writing the answer to this. Because take this lady, take this lady as just as an encouragement. Because literally, as I said before, according to the law, she had seen her last sunset. Her days was over. But the old boys had just had just had to bring the law into this. What do you say, Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what I'll say. 
and I'll say it with my finger. I'll just write another law. I'll just write another law. Since I wrote the first ones, I'll write another one. So I'm telling you, that is how good God is for those that he created. When we think there's no way out of it, and do not forget what I said about Matthew. I'm telling you, there's nothing any more valuable of what your eyes will ever see. Walk out tonight and view the heavens. They don't equal the value of your soul, I promise you. Don't believe me. You believe this word. They don't equal the value of what you already possess. Hallelujah. God bless you. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.